0: Every time from then on I went out, that bloody dog was waiting for me. He liked the taste of cabin.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What makes great leaders for me is that they're humble, that they have an appetite for learning, and they want to be part of something greater than themselves. It's not about being stuck in the lower knee. It's not about them or their ego.
2: hundred Chinese crew running around the place all shouting at each other, and it's mad. And I'm like, why do they want a lad (laughs) from cabin to be directing this night?
3: Hello there and welcome along to a special edition of the Cabin Lives podcast series on We Are Cabin. I'm your host, Mark Fairley, and over the next half hour or so, I'm going to be taking you through some of the best bits from all the interviews we've done so far. For those of you who haven't heard the series before, Cabin Lives is all about celebrating people who are doing something a little bit different a living a life less ordinary. Maybe they're actors, sports writers, sports people, or someone with an interesting career, but they've all got one thing in common, and that's that they've got a special connection to Cabin. You can subscribe to the whole series on the We Are Cabin Patreon page, either as a standalone series, or you can get it as with the whole We Are Cavin Patreon offering for just five euro a month. That's the whole kick and caboodle with all the GA podcasts as well. Our first guest on the show was the wonderful writer and actor Shane Connaughton. While well, Shane will be best known across the world for co-writing the Academy Award-nominated screenplay for My Left Foot, he also spent much of his career bringing Cavin to life in books, plays, and on the big screen. So during our chat, we got to discussing the unique way Cavan people speak. And Shane told the story of how four-time All-Ireland winner, Willie Doonan, once invented his own special word.
0: But his language, ogis, that's all Gaelic. You know, around to say, bring in a lock of hay for the cattle. That's on the Irish word glock, G-L-A-C, a pile. Ojas is I believe now is old Jazz. Oh good.
4: Oh, it's always where to come from well, I think Odius it'd be old. It oh, oh good. From-
0: good, good enough. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. There's also the uh, 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 Father Trainer in Red Hills used to say it was from Odious, but it's not yeah, at all. You know, so that language is still there in Cavern, still hanging on. And yeah. that's why I wrote the pitch. I wanted it in there. Like in the pitch, I've got Willie Doonan's famous word. He invented a word, Willie Doonan. Jim McDonald told me. And um, the word was, Willie Doonan, when, he, when, the, he, when he'd line out on the field, he'd draw a, a line in the mud with the, the heel of his boot, and he'd say to his opponent, come in that li- come inside that line and I'll focalize you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great word. That's a completely new word coined by Willie Doonan.
4: That's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. It's actually, it's such a it, like those. It's amazing how language kind of ties us together. Because I was watching, there's a a woman on Twitter from Scotland, and she does a award. She talks the kind of Scots Gaelic or Scots. you just call it. And she, you know, she was a word of the day where she'd say a random, she'd talk with some Scots word and describe it to people what it means in English. And last week I was looking at one where she was talking about a shuck, and she was like, "What a shock oh, yeah. is and all this." And it's like if you were down to Dublin or wherever, they wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. Yet here's this woman oh, in Scotland no. that's talking the same as <laughs> people in Cavan.
0: Yeah, when I, when I was writing about a station, I came to the word shock, and I went into Linus McDonald. Do you remember Linus McDonald in the pub in Cavern on I the corner, opposite Dunn's. Oh, he was a fantastic character. He's dead now. He, he spelt it for me. <laughs> yeah, but Scotland, my first job was in Perth Rep in Scotland when I left drama school. I loved in, in Scotland.
3: Finn Keenan has earned himself a reputation as a brilliant filmmaker and has worked with countless musicians, including the likes of The Stripes, and big brands such as Nike, EA Sports, Heineken, and Tesco. We spoke to him shortly after the release of Discord, the movie, a feature-length ad starring Danny DeVito and Aquafina, which Finn had just directed. Finn told us about the creative process behind such big shoots, but we also chatted about the environment around Cavan that made it a perfect breeding ground for his video-making passion.
4: Around Calvin Town, there seems to be a special generation of talent that has come out both in terms of drama and also filmmaking. And you can see it, I which she's watching Redemption of a Rogue there a couple of weeks ago. It shows again. That it's such a unbelievable amount of talent that's in the county and you yeah. see to brought them you know there's lots of them popping up and loads as much like yeah well i just I, everything. I,
2: I know that's the thing bringing people back well the the kind of the, the way that i always kind of bring that back to whatever the hell happened that summer with the flat in Cavan, and obviously then this this fringe let's like, say so there was a the flat happened and then this you know the theater and art fringe happened my dad was involved and that's where i met phil doherty and the whole gonzo crowd and they were doing their plays. And around that time, we we just started getting like DSLRs and the arts office had a 5D and they lent it to us. And then the Stripes started playing music. And suddenly there was just people and musicians around who needed things filmed, whether it was a promo for one of Phil's plays or a music video for the Stripes. And then suddenly, you know, Phil was suddenly, you know, getting um, more prolific. And then we applied for this uh, rt storylands thing where they gave us a little bit of money to make this and that was a real game changer because that was the first time we the ever had begrudgers, crew. Wasn't it? The yeah so suddenly we had we had crew and me and phil and my friend liam who had mentioned earlier um and then john mckeon a producer that i work with all the time in ireland uh we were just thrown in the deep end um and phil's you know amazing ideas and in the town's unbelievable support it was like baffling gave me this kind of confidence then after that to be like i've got a music video coming up you know and never like you know i just put something on facebook like need a this whoever want you know and you'd never be like guilt somebody into it. just people would just be really enthusiastic to turn up you know um and it's you know and I, I when i when i tell people you know other directors who at riffraff in england or other people who when I tell people about this, they're like, what the hell? Like, you know, a lot of people kind of come up, you know, making things on their own and then trying to get people to see that, you know, where we just had this bizarre scene where everybody wanted to do stuff and everybody needed something done, whether it was, you know, musician, uh, uh, an actor, whether it was yeah, like Seamus O'Rourke or Kieran O'Neill, any of these, just anybody needed things done. It was, it was, there was so much to do, you know? Yeah, and it's also like
4: if you look back at the the kind of humorous element that it that kind of that you see with a lot of stuff and especially your work that like it's still that's still in the stuff you're doing today. You can clearly see yeah. the same kind of themes through yeah, it. Yeah, well so,
2: that, that's to me, that's like the most kind of compliment and not compliment most uh, rewarding thing I ever when somebody says is like, I saw this and I didn't know it was you and I thought, is that? is that yours? Like, and that's to me is like, you know, because it could be one of my friends or something where they're like, it's the same as the, it's like the same as that little thing we made 10 years ago, but on a way bigger scale, there's a, and to me, that's like, that's the nicest thing to hear because it's, that's what I find. I, I think is very important to try and keep keep kind of running through work as it gets yeah, easier, funny enough you, you know? mentioned
4: that this isn't just uh i'm not trying to claim to hear no spoke up <laughs> your ass but i genuinely when we were uh i was chatting to david and paul about uh this interview coming up and i was like just finn directed my favorite music video of oh, all really? time which is the stripes scumbag city and oh, then i was really? thinking Great. and then i was thinking to myself like i was like thinking myself, oh I'm the only one there's that one that song, Back and Forth, that video, that comes close enough. But no, I think it's Comeback back <laughs> I didn't, didn't realise you direct Back oh,
2: and Forth.
4: Oh, well. that's good.
2: That's good. That's very satisfying <laughs> to hear. I like that. I'll take that. I'll put it in my back pocket. I genuinely had day. no idea that there was any link oh, between
4: great. the two of them. In our third episode, we were joined by Bart
3: McEnroe. A coach and mentor, Bart has worked with leading business and sports people, including the likes of Mickey Hart and Pat Gilroy, to help them and their teams achieve success. Bart took us through his human needs approach to coaching in what was an extremely thought-provoking discussion, and during our chat, I asked him what he thinks of key qualities a leader must have, whether it be in business or sport. (laughs) What would you
4: see as the number one quality or trait that they need to have? Because for me looking at it, um, there's something in my head. I'm not going to mention it yet. Just see what you say.
1: Well, you're you're, you're going to be surprised at this one, right? Um, Maybe, maybe you're not. But I actually think it's humility, right? Because they have to be open to learning. They have to be open to a bigger pattern right so yeah. th- that's that's one thing right and and I think it's really it's really followed by uh, the ability to be compassionate and have a genuine interest in people and and like I've seen people in business and they've you know they've really really struggled because it's about the money it's about the control it's about the status. it's about the power it's about me me my like how do i and it's like it's all about the results and it's like oh. Jesus, give us a break, you know. Um, it's not about the results, it's and like the, the planet is the worst of this mindset. Like, it's really about making a value contribution to all the stakeholders that's on this in this little world that we're on, and and that's mostly people, right? But but, but it's also all the other species that's been wiped out. It's the environment, which I, I, I think there's actually an environmental crisis now. And anyway, I'm yeah. getting off the point, getting off your point, but like. What makes great leaders for me is that they're humble, they have an appetite for learning, and they want to be part of something greater than themselves. It's not about being stuck in the lower needs. It's not about them or their ego. And they have a genuine love or compassion for human beings. They want to understand themselves and they want to understand the others. And also as well, um, this is a strange thing to say, but they're prepared to see what's in themselves that isn't working. And when it's pointed out to them how they can, how they can refine that or upgrade that, they're willing to do it. So, is that anywhere close to what you're expecting, or did you want to ask I was thinking. Me I question? suppose
4: it's the next step down. I was thinking in terms of that everything you mentioned uh, when we were talking around the conversation in terms of the plans. All this is that if your communication isn't good enough, it's going to be very hard to translate. Your ideas, or the thinking, or whatever it is that might, might be behind it, even in terms of if you are compassionate, if you are able to see that you okay. know, if you need to communicate no, no. to the team and get them all, you're absolutely,
1: you're absolutely correct, Mark. All of these guys are really good communicators. The, the better ones are good communicators, but you know, you ask anyone are they a good communicators? Oh, yeah, I'm really good at it. And people confuse communicating, um, and part of communicating is putting stuff out, right? But it's not the part that really makes the difference. So uh, the, the big, big skill for, around communication, as far as I can make out, is the ability to listen. Now, listen and construct questions. Constructing questions and being able to, how to deliver that question. So you're able to work with the picture in the other person's head and listen to people um, at an emotional level. And that sounds very bleh you know, gooey or neverton, but it is to actually pick up what where is the person coming from what, what, what's what's behind why they're underperforming
3: many we are calvin listeners will know ender king from his great career with calvin and calvin gales but away from the football field he is world-renowned in his role as head of performance rehabilitation at the sports surgery clinic in santry Elite athletes from a huge variety of sports have looked to Enda and his team to help in injury rehabilitation and prevention, with the likes of Dan Carter and Johnny Sexton among those singing his praises. During sure our chat, Ender reflected on what stands out from working with professional sports people and how all athletes can improve their chances of avoiding injury, but what they do in terms of preparation. <laughs>
4: Would you notice a big difference, maybe with the professional players that are that would come into the, um, uh, into the clinic in terms of their own levels of interest? I suppose it's their career you know, they are dependent on it, but their own levels of interest in movement and injury prevention and recovery. Or is it kind of the same yeah. across the board? I, I
5: kind of have a captive audience because if they're injured coming to me, they're probably interested in sorting the problem out to start off with. So you're immediately starting from a position of strength. But um, they are. Uh, Evolving all the time to see how staying healthy is an integral part of uh, being available, integral part of winning, integral part of getting your next contract. Um, and the if you look at the difference in in amateur and elite, I mean, in, in at least in elite GAA, the, the training loads are every bit as high, high in that as they are in uh, elite rugby and, and and elite soccer. But the recovery times are. are are, are more attention is paid to that, and um, the, the the spread of load across a week. More more attention is paid to that, and their, their ongoing leg development. So, um, I think it 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 definitely is something that um, club players can pay better attention to. Is is you know I don't need to do everything all the time. Where where do I train very hard, and then where do I recover? And certainly, the elite athletes are spending more and more time understanding how good movement enhances performance and good movement reduces injury risk and when you go into the gym the idea of going into the gym is to make yourself more robust and be a better athlete but a lot of the problems I end up dealing with are often developed in the gym and then you you you, you pour uh, a professional training load and playing load on top of that and then there's no nowhere left to hide so um, I think they're getting a better understanding of, of how you lift and how you move and um, has a big impact on performance but especially a big impact on injury as well
4: in terms of those problems that you sometimes see that have um, developed in the gym, what would be the kind of the, the issues that might arise in there?
5: Yeah. I mean, people always talk about, there's no such thing as good or bad exercises. There's just, you know, what are you trying to do and and, and how are you achieving it? Is it bringing you towards your goals? So they go on YouTube and <clears throat> you watch power lifters and everything else where the, the goal of the game is to lift the heaviest weight possible. It's not necessary to develop as an athlete. Um and so the, the biggest challenges you'll see in the gym is, is not lifting. There's no such thing as, as too heavy weight, but not lifting it with a technique that's achieving what you want to achieve from that exercise. So a, a simple example would be a squat. and um, So lifting in a squat in a way, maybe you have a lot of anterior tilt where you have a big arch in your back, or maybe you let your knees slide forward. None of those things are good or bad, but the influence where you get the adaptation, um, either in terms of your quadriceps or your hamstrings or your spinae. <clears throat> but they also develop motor patterns that can... Uh, then translate into your running mechanics and and your jumping and landing mechanics. And so those base fundamentals of, of hinge squat lunge, they're the building blocks for uh jump land sprint, accelerate and change direction. And so the way that you execute those exercises as a knock on effect, A on where you get your adaptation, but also B on whether you overload certain structures preferentially, whether that's my low back or my hip joints or my pubic bones. And so we certainly have a proliferation of, of hip joint related issues um, in the GA in particular. And that's kind of a, a beautiful storm of movement patterns and um, excessive um, strength training relative to the technique that they're able to execute with it. And then a huge volume of running on top of it. And so um, it's, it's a beautiful storm for, from a hip joint point of view, but not necessarily great for leg development.
3: Upon the release of his new book, A Cloud Where the Birds Rise, the fantastic Michael Harding took the time to chat to us about a wide wide range of topics, including his own writing career, his faith and his friendship with the late Tom McIntyre. We also discussed the art of storytelling and how Michael thinks that we're all storytellers.
6: People are very human and humans are stories. It's, it's almost like, it's almost like we are our stories. You know do you know the way people sometimes they, they'll sum up their whole life. You, you might meet a fella in London and he might be in his 70s. and you'd say, "How are you?" And he'd say, "Well, I was born and reared in Carventown. right? And he'll do, it, he'll, he'll do it like an incantation. He'll do it like it was an incantation to start a whole big drama. And and he will. And all you have to do is throw in an odd question. And when did you leave Cavan? I left Cavern in nineteen fifty-three. We got the boat from Dublin. And in those days the cattle were underneath. You were standing there with the smell of the shit coming up through the slats that treated us like animals. And I'm quoting you now directly from a memory, do you know? Yeah. But look at that, there's a novel. There's a novel, and and that's why I ended up writing memoirs rather than novels or rather than plays, because I saw that there was a kind of a beauty in the sort of, the story naked, without having built it into a big artefact, with a a hero and a protagonist and an arc and a a reversal and a resolution. I thought there's something beautiful about the way people carelessly throw out their lives, their whole lives. And they'll just be sitting there in a waiting room in a hospital or somewhere. And they'll just tell you everything. And, and because, because we are our stories. And also because your story is my story. And there's an amazing way, and I found this particularly in the columns. probably I suppose in the books too, but there's a way in which I'm telling other people's stories. Now, I'm, I'm telling it in the sense that I actually get stories from people and I repeat them. But I'm also telling the stories in the sense that when I personally, as Michael Harding, say, you know, this is the story of my depression or this is the story of my search for God or this is the story of my confusion with religion, I get an awful lot of people contact me to say that's how I feel because it's their story as well.
4: 100%. It's like we all think we're the, we're the main character in the story, whereas... Yeah. it's yeah. Uh, And if if you direction. think of
6: two people... If you take two people who fall in love and they go to bed and they have uh, intimacy, right? And what, what's the next thing that happens after the great moment of intimacy? They're lying there in the bed on the pillows. Now, in my in my day, you would have smoked a cigarette at that stage, but I presume people don't do that now. So you're lying there on the pillow, and you tell stories. Yeah. You know, she she asks him why. Did, where did you say you were from? Or what did you say your father did? Uh, My father's this, that, and the other and He asks her, and they end up telling each other life stories. So at the most intimate level, and of course when people die, when when you go to a wake house and you go in and and you shake hands with the widow and you say, I'm sorry for your trouble. And she says, oh, Mark, you were very good to come she would say the same to me now, an hour later. It was very good to come. Yeah. It's what she, But then she'll just stand there and she'll turn to you and she'll say, well, we were watching television and he went out to the kitchen. He was going to make a cup of tea. And then EastEnders came on and he didn't come back in. And I was wondering, because he loves EastEnders. So I went out into the kitchen and there he was on the floor. And she'll tell you the story of how he died. Or, or if it's a man, he'll tell you the story of how she died. And, and this is the most... <laughs> Terrible, profound thing has happened. You, you've lost somebody, you're in bereavement. And what happens? You tell the story. And, and the mourners then actually are part of the ritual that allows you to tell the story over and over again. In fact, it forces you to tell the story. And by telling the story, you become in some way healed. In some way, you come to terms with what's happened. So, story yeah. functions there in ritual. In a powerfully healing way, in grief, it functions in love, as a way of developing intimacy. Story is what we are.
3: Catherine Murphy was born and bred in Milltown, but has been making a name for herself on the other side of the world as a sports presenter and journalist with Australian national broadcaster ABC in Melbourne. Catherine made a long-awaited visit home just before Christmas and took the time to chat to us about her career and what it's like working in one of the sports capitals of the world. Her time in Australia has also been made all the more enjoyable by seeing so many Irish sports people thrive in the AFL. Those stars included one very familiar face to Catherine.
4: As well, that you know, obviously, there's a massive influx of Irish people, both in I suppose, since you moved over, both in just in general, the Irish community that would be in Melbourne, but also in terms of Irish sports people, in terms of the more there's more and more Irish uh, GA players going to play both men's and women's AFL. It must be a great, a great, great thing to see for you to have lived through and to be there to, to build up relationships with people and probably is what maybe has helped you stay there for so long that you're not getting homesick or anything.
7: Yeah and especially with the Irish players in the AFL they've always been so good to me. With interviews just with being a friendly voice and a face at a club when you go out to work if you look at the likes of Zach Tui, who's achieved so much at Geelong Mark O'Connor is there Connor McKenna what he did at Essendon just I used to just feel so proud watching him because I'll never forget it. It's one of my absolute highlights watching Aussie Rules. I was in a bar just ordering a drink and all these guys, there are these sitting at the bar and they're watching Essendon play. And I just look up at the TV while I'm waiting for my wines to come along. And there's Connor McKenna. He soloed a guy. He, he like, they don't solo in Aussie Rules and he's just, the guy doesn't know how to defend this. Like, he I doesn't hasn't seen, seen this.
4: Up, really. Oh, yeah, that's what you'd obviously do. Wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Take your four steps.
7: And the men at the bar were like, what? Like, what's that? They loved it because they were Essendon fans. And I was shouting, that's a solo. That's a solo. I can't believe he's done that. I can't believe he doesn't do it all the time. And it was just so good. It was like that just made my night, seeing Conor McKenna do that. And also the Irish guys and the AFLW players, for example, Laura Jure, that's her married name, is Laura Corrigan from Drum Lane. She was the first ever Irish player to play in the women's competition. So she was just before Coruscant and we played together at Drum Lane <clears throat> back in the day.
4: That mad.
7: And she was an amazing footballer. Clearly I'm not, so I just talk about it and she was playing it. And just seeing someone from Milltown that you played football with at Drum Lane play AFLW was just amazing. She came in to do a radio show I was doing and they just couldn't believe we'd played on the same team together. <laughs> That's
4: crazy. Yeah, imagine just... <laughs> You're obviously explaining the really the concept. Of, oh, well, Australians will know getting football from the international rules and everything the players coming over or that. But you're just like, this is the other side of the world, and
7: and we're never. from went to school in the same village in Cavan, and we're both sitting on radio talking about her career, and she did amazing to get selected. So you just feel so proud, and also, like I said. Irish people are so loyal those guys those girls will always do interviews you love to see them when you go out to a club you're just so proud to see how well they're doing it's and it definitely helps your relationships with clubs because a lot of them have an Irish player so it's just great to see Ireland represented out there.
3: that's it from us today a reminder that you can listen to the six interviews in full and all the others still to come by subscribing to the we are Cavan patreon feed right now we'll be back in the new year with some more great guests but until then mind yourself